and welcome to XX Will Travel, a podcast for independent women travelers. I'm Inez Bellina. And I'm Kathy Polkerbeck. And together we are XX Will Travel. We have a great episode today because Kathy has just come back from beautiful and exotic Thailand and Cambodia. So give us just a general idea of what your trip was like. How long were you there for and where did you go? I was in Thailand and Cambodia for around 10 days because a friend of mine had a business trip and allowed me to tag along. So she worked in Bangkok and then together we traveled to Cambodia afterwards. Awesome. So let's start with Bangkok. Um, How many days were you there for? Well, I was there for four, but probably conscious for three. (laughs) Was the jet lag really bad? The jet lag was terrible. Okay. Yeah, that, what is that? A million hour time difference. 12. It's 12. It's the exact opposite AM and PM. Excellent. So while you were conscious, what did you see? Well, I would wander Bangkok through the day and I saw various Buddhas, such as the Golden Buddha, the Reclining Buddha, and the Emerald Buddha. And we wanted to go see the Buddha in the Temple of the Dawn or the Arun Temple, but that is under construction. So do you know for how long? Well, according to a website I found, due to a combination of air pollution and extreme weather events, Thailand's officials have closed the temple off for the next three years. Oh, no. And now that I see it, because there's a picture of, what is it called? The Arun Temple. Mm -hmm. Um, I've actually been there. I forgot to mention this at the beginning, but I've been both to Thailand and Cambodia, although back in 2009, which is a really long time ago. Lifetime. A lifetime ago. (laughs) But there are other wonderful temples and other sites in the city. What was your general impression of Bangkok? Traffic in Buddhas, as far as the eye can see. It doesn't matter what time of day you get there or where you're going, there's never a downtime for traffic. And as a result, it's incredibly smoggy. Mm -hmm. Fortunately, Bangkok has an excellent sky train Yes. Which is their metro system, and it's very efficient. It's very cheap. I believe each trip was around, each trip I took was around 15 baht, but it also depends on where you're going because they price based on the duration of your trip, the Mm -hmm. length of your trip. So that is where I spent a lot of my time. And walking. It's very walkable. They have... Crazy, crazy intersections, but they also have a ton of skyways, so you can just walk over the intersections instead of having to cross the street. Yes, that's true. I do remember that. Did you take water taxis? Yeah, we took water taxis. And another tip is there are two kinds of water taxis. There are taxis with blue flags, which are the tourist taxis, and they cost 40 baht. They come with an English guide, and they're much slower. Mm Mm-hmm. However, if you take the water taxis with orange flags, those are 15 baht, and they are local taxis. You won't get the narration, but they're much quicker and make the same stops. Right. Awesome. So what was your favorite part of Bangkok? My favorite part of Bangkok were the massages. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) That makes you sound like a sketchy tourist. No offense. It makes me sound like a sketchy tourist. Well, actually... So I'll, I'll, I'll say this first. We went in the off season. We, it's very, very hot in Bangkok right now. And the peak season is about November to February when the weather is more temperate. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so it was super hot, but everything was super empty, which was lovely. I spent a long time with the reclining Buddha at Wat Pho. Yeah. Just by myself contemplating and discovered that there is a massage school in the temple. Wat Pho is actually the birthplace of Thai massage. So you can go get a massage. I think I paid 400 baht for a 60-minute Thai massage. They put you in basically a prison jumpsuit. <laughs> and it's, it's um, students who are giving the massages. So you're in a room with a bunch of beds and other people getting massaged mm-hmm. in their prison jumpsuits. Um, and it was, it was a good experience and a nice way to end a day of walking around and being exhausted. So just to get an idea, how much is 400 baht in dollars? 400 baht is around $10. Ooh, so that is a deal. It is a deal, which is why I did it every day. (laughs) I have to say, Kathy, I feel like you could probably write a book about massage schools in Southeast Asia, because every time I ask Kathy about her experience in the region, she will mention a massage school that she went to. It's true. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Well, when I was in Thailand and I went to Koh Samui, which is one of the islands, they had cheap massages on the beach. And I probably paid for one every single day that I was there to the point where I started getting dizzy. <laughs> and I figured that maybe I needed to not be bathed in oil under the heat, <laughs> you know? For a while, because they would just put like creams and oils and stuff on me. And then there would be a lot of neck and shoulder massage. So I think also just the, the, the kind of the shifts in my line of vision just just ended up making me lightheaded. And I kind of cooled it down for a while. Um, so let's talk about Cambodia. You only went to Siem Reap, correct? Yes. Yeah. And Siem Reap is the city that's closest to Angkor Wat, which is this huge complex of... Um, temples in Cambodia. So what were your impressions of of Siem Reap and Cambodia in general? Cambodia is hotter than Thailand, or hotter than Bangkok at least. By the time we got back, the Bangkok heat was nothing after being in Cambodia. It's small. It's a small town. It is based on tourism. Mm-hmm. That is the driver, obviously. We were there during the off-season, so it was pretty empty. Like, we went to the night market one night and we basically had it to ourselves. And it was to the point where the the people selling things didn't even stop us. Like, <laughs> like they had given up. Like, these ladies aren't going to buy anything. Yeah. Um, the service, the customer service is some of the best I've ever received in my life. And it just seemed like people weren't just after your dollar. They genuinely wanted to enjoy, wanted you to enjoy Cambodia and wherever, wherever we went, hotels, we took a cooking class, Mm -hmm. people thanked us for coming and wanted us to tell the world about the Khmer slash Cambodian culture because it's a miracle it's still there due to the genocide in the 70s. So people are very appreciative of tourists, I found. See, I find that interesting because my experience in Cambodia was that people were begging for your dollar all the time. And um, not that they weren't, I mean, they were very friendly and there were definitely certain people that, you know, certain services and hotels that I remember as being completely respectful and friendly. But back when I was there, and maybe it has to do with the seasons or where we traveled, it was actually very difficult because people would immediately kind of go towards the tourists and try to sell them things, try to like, 
either that, sometimes they would be begging for money, which I know can be like really heartbreaking <laughs> um, at the same time. And also, you know, what do you do with that situation? Yeah, I'm actually really shocked to hear that. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> That's interesting because we commented, like, of course, there were the, the touts for tuk-tuks and stuff yeah. like that. And maybe I'm just a little too firm. I would say no and walk away and they didn't, they didn't bother us. No, we would be firm, but it would still happen. And maybe less so in Siem Reap because, as you mentioned, it is driven by tourism. So they probably have a more kind of heightened sense of what works and what doesn't work. But when we went to Sianukville, which is um, one of the beaches down south, even though it also relies heavily on tourism, I just think it's probably less traveled. And it would kind of be nonstop hounding huh. at all times. We we heard that about Phnom Penh that the begging was much more explicit. There was they talked about more people on the street, not just touristy right businesses. But um we did not experience that. Maybe it was the time of year, maybe it was just so darn hot that no one had the energy <laughs> to bother. So besides the heat, did you see any major differences between both countries? Cambodia, or at least Siam Reap compared to Bangkok, there's a lot less money. It's much poorer, I think. And the infrastructure seemed to be not as developed. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, I think you can still see very much the effects of the Khmer Rouge still in the country. Um, So for those who are unaware, I think this was in the 70s and 80s, a tyrannical leader called Pol Pot took over Cambodia and basically installed a super dictatorial communist regime. You know, a lot of genocide was committed, uh, lots of re-education camps, that that whole thing. You can still see the effects. And one of it, I think, is just like in the infrastructure in general. Roads are not that well maintained. No, they're not. And basically, he marched people out of cities and to the countryside, and part of the re-education was to make Cambodia an agrarian society. He killed all the intellectuals first, and if he found that you spoke French or you wore glasses, that was grounds for death. When we went to Angkor Wat, our tour guide pointed out bullet holes in Angkor Wat because people tried to hide there during, um, during the genocide, basically, he, our tour guide didn't bring it up that much. Mm-hmm. He would refer to a civil war, but he'd refer to it so calmly that it took me a while to connect, like, oh, he's talking about Pol Pot. Right, one or the other. Um, let's talk a bit about Angkor Wat because it is kind of an amazing, amazing sight to see. Um, so how did you go about visiting it? So we got a tour guide recommendation and that guy was booked, and he recommended his friend, who we found out was also the tour guide. He was a van driver for Bill Clinton. Whoa, he, what? Yeah, he gave Hillary Clinton a tour of Anchor Watt. Last March, he gave Michelle Obama a tour of <gasps> Anchor Watt. So we kind of lucked out in terms of tour guides. His name is Money, M-O-N-Y, Money Without the E. Uh-huh. And I'll post his website. Yes, in case do. in case you'd like to get in touch with him, and he was very, he knew the history that each guide, the official guides, have to pass a test okay. to become tour guides, and he worked his way up. He used to be a van driver, but decided he wanted to be a tour guide. 
Um, the official tour guides also have shirts with patches that denote them as a tour guide because you'll see a lot of people just hanging out and asking you, especially in Angkor Wat, mm-hmm. and asking you if you need a guide. So don't patronize the <laughs> non-licensed tour guides because I know at least our guy had worked really hard and was really proud of the fact that he was a tour guide. Yeah, Um I have to ask, did he give you any dish on Hillary Clinton, Bill Clinton, or Michelle Obama? He said Bill Clinton was really nice. Uh-huh. He didn't say much about Hillary and Michelle, unfortunately. Okay. I think, I think it's a confidentiality thing. Um, but I know the State Department contacts him when they have VIPs coming in for tours. Oh, so he, he's... He probably knows that it's in his best interest not to dish. Yes, yeah. <laughs> probably. So is Angkor Wat totally worth it? Angkor Wat is totally worth it. It is a once-in-a-lifetime trip. We went at sunrise, mm-hmm. and um, our tour guide was so good. He took us away from the 500 people taking pictures to a dip. Okay, everyone gathers in the morning at this reflecting pond, because you can get beautiful images of Angkor Wat reflected in the water. And he actually knew of a different spot away from the tourists. Mm -hmm. And we got beautiful pictures with no one in them. Angkor Wat is beautiful, and you should see it, but I actually preferred Bayan Temple, the temple with all the faces sculpted into the rock. Which is... It's kind of in the same complex, though, right? It's in Angkor Tom, actually. okay. But like within that general area, or? you you have to drive. To you get have to there. drive to get there. Okay, because I have seen it. I am now trying to gather my memories. Yes, because when I visited Angkor Wat, um, we did not do it through a tour guide, though we did get a recommendation of a of a driver who we paid for to drive us wherever we wanted for an entire day. So we did do Angkor Wat, and then I do remember kind of driving further to other temples and seeing that that one that you're mentioning. And as you can tell, this is why you have tour guides, because we would just walk around and not know what the hell we were looking at. But it was beautiful. (laughs) Well, what we did is we got the, you can buy a one-day pass, Mm -hmm. which is $20, a three-day pass, which is $40. And then I think the next one is maybe a week-long pass. And so we bought the three-day pass. And on the first day, we went with our tour guide, and he was very flexible as to to respecting our wishes about what we wanted to see. Mm-hmm. He, could, he read us very well. And then the second day we rested. And then the third day we went back on our own and just walked around. Okay. And I liked having the context of things. Like I, I had listened to him give all the information and just absorbing it, right. you know, by myself. So was there one destination that you liked more than the other? Well, I only saw Bangkok, and Bangkok is a big, dirty city. <laughs> so, but Angkor Wat was a hot, small town. I like them both. I would yeah. go back to both, I think. I would love to explore Cambodia more and Thailand. Right. The exploration is just endless. Okay, so let's talk a little bit more about, you know, beyond kind of the things we expect out of Bangkok and Angkor Wat and Siem Reap. So, let's talk about partying. Did you guys enjoy any of the nightlife while you were there? Well, unfortunately, because my friend was working, uh, the only nightlife were, like, receptions, which, <laughs> which I didn't really partake in. And then 
Cambodia was just post-work decompression chill time. So, mm-hmm. And it was empty. Like, it was really dead. So we didn't really do much. How about you? Um, so when I traveled to Thailand and Cambodia, I was with my boyfriend at the time. And in terms of Bangkok specifically... We did have one night where we decided to venture to Khao San Road, which is this kind of infamous backpackers road in Bangkok, just full of youth hostels and nightclubs and bars. And I already kind of knew it wouldn't be my scene, but I almost felt like I had to see it because it seemed like every person who had traveled to Thailand had had some sort of adventure or anecdote there. Um So we went, and in terms of grabbing drinks, it's fine because they're super cheap and they're easy to get, but it is also one of those instances where you feel like you're at an international frat party, and I think how appealing that is will depend a lot on your age and your personality. Um, We were mostly amused. Like I just remember being there with my boyfriend in a corner, sipping drinks and pointing out the different disasters that people... (laughs) We're, you know, we're like, we're committing to because they were in Thailand. Um, But I will say like one of my favorite, favorite nights in terms of Bangkok nightlife, and this is going to sound awful, is on our way back to our bed and breakfast from Khao San Road, we realized that the gas station at the corner that during the day functions as a totally normal gas station would actually turn into this like makeshift bar at night. And when we discovered this, like, we were set for the rest of our time in Bangkok. Because, <laughs> one, the waitresses were awesome. They were so, so funny and so hilarious, just in general. And um, you would just get these, like, huge sugary drinks full of ridiculous amounts of alcohol for something crazy cheap. And it was a very, very chill location. I have no idea where this gas station is located or what the name is. It sounds mythical. Maybe it. Maybe it's like, what's that name of the Scottish town? Like Brigadoon? <laughs> it only appears like during a specific time. And I wouldn't say at all by any means that somehow like where locals go. It was mostly a bunch of other backpackers. But unless, like, unlike House and Road, which just seemed to be like a hotbed of, of STDs, um, <laughs> this one was just like backpackers chilling, you know, just like sitting on like these plastic chairs at a gas station and I love the ingenuity of the of the owner who's like you know what we just need to like cater to these people um Siem Reap was a little bit uh maybe not as 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 much of a partying atmosphere but this might have to do with when we went because even though it wasn't high season it was still in July and August which means that there were a lot of Europeans and Americans and Canadians on holiday. So Siem Reap to us was not dead and didn't feel empty. And what I did like about it was that there were just a lot of little cafes and little kind of bars where you could just grab a drink and be outside. And it kind of reminded me a little bit of the um, of what you could find in Cusco before it became a huge tourist trap where everything was just kind of very chill, like lots of reggae music. Oh, yeah, we yeah. did that too. <laughs> Lots of reggae music and, just kind of pouring out of the windows. And really weird cover bands. Yes. <laughs> like there was, we were in the night market, you know, which is also a great place to grab a beer. Mm-hmm. 
And we heard it was like we were in college because some there was some 90s emo girl cover band. <laughs> and it was oddly comforting. <laughs> yes, of course. I, I do believe this sometimes about traveling. It's like it seems like the whole world has decided on certain guilty pleasures and you will be able to find them wherever you go. <laughs> um, so like Bob Marley and like Backpacker Haunts. Yeah. You will find him. Um, let's talk about food, though. Because Thailand, most people assume Thai food, amazing. Cambodian food is not as well known. So what was your experience with it? They're actually very similar. But Cambodian food is less spicy. Mm -hmm. Their national dish is called amok. Yes. And how would you describe amok? It's rice and kind of a mild curry sauce. Yeah. With different kinds of meat and veggies. Yeah, Uh, basically like a milder form of curry. Yeah, But Bangkok was interesting for food. I um, started an accidental juice fast. It's the closest I'll ever come to juicing. Why was it accidental? (laughs) Because they they juice everything and they sell them at little stands. And so I'd be walking along and juices and massages. That describes Bangkok to me. (laughs) So they have um, a a lime drink. It's lime juice, sugar, and club soda. Mm -hmm. Or you can just get straight lime juice and sugar from street vendors. I got pomegranate juice. I got guava juice. I got juice from little tiny oranges. And it was just a nice treat as you're walking along in the heat and the smog and the exhaust. Yeah. And another thing about food, which makes me feel like a bad traveler, (laughs) is that... (laughs) Thanks to my friend and her connections, we were staying at the Intercontinental in Bangkok, which is something that I never do. Um, And we were on a club floor or a premium floor, which meant a huge breakfast spread, high tea from like 3.30 to 5, and then the best cocktail cocktail hour you've ever seen from 5.30 to 7. So I feel kind of guilty because I was eating cheese plates right. in Bangkok, <laughs> but then I don't because I was eating cheese plates in Bangkok. <laughs> you know what? It's like, you do you. If you're being offered free cheese somewhere, you're going to take it. Take it. <laughs> if someone's like, I can make you any drink you ever want and you're not yeah. going to have to pay for it, take it. Unless they're sketchy, in which case, don't take it. (laughs) Well, I have to say, for me, my big discovery when I went on this trip to Thailand and Cambodia was soup for breakfast. Oh, yeah. Um, Which I think, in theory, I knew existed, like, in a lot of Asian countries. And I know even, like, in Peru, for example, we kind of do have a soup for breakfast option. But it's not something that we really choose. So our first time around in... Bangkok, we stayed at a bed and breakfast where you, you know, breakfast was included and you could choose either kind of the continental, a traditional English breakfast or a traditional Thai breakfast, which was what I chose, which was basically just a noodle soup. And I found that to be the most amazing thing in the existence of this world, because it's like it's salty, but not super heavy. So you feel like you can do a lot of activity like right after eating it. But it satiates you enough to where you're not hungry until it's like one or two in the afternoon. And um, and I don't know. I really want like soup for breakfast to become a thing here in the Western Hemisphere. Well, funny you should mention soup for breakfast because my 
crazy buffet had a full Japanese station, and they also had soup for breakfast. Yeah. So I got to have beautiful miso soup, beautiful rice with fish, uh, pickles, soba. It was gorgeous. And I challenge you to go to Thailand and have them put that breakfast spread before you <laughs> and then tell you to go eat street food. It's not going to happen. You're, you're going to indulge. It's okay, Kathy. You don't need to justify your life choices. <laughs> but, but I do. I feel like a bad traveler. No, no, it's fine. I mean, to be fair, once we were done with our whole trip, my boyfriend and I and like spent the last two nights of our trip at a five-star hotel because we were done backpacking and we were done with the hostel life and the bed and breakfast life. And, um, and sometimes it's good to just relax. Like we'll, you know, just lie on the pool <laughs> or... Hours on end. But let's talk about this five-star hotel experience. Yes. Because I think you mentioned that this is not usually your go-to accommodations. How did you feel about it? Guilty. Excellent. (laughs) (laughs) Why? So usually my go-to accommodations are like kooky little guest houses, Mm -hmm. local places, places that have are comfortable to sleep in, but give you no excuse to stay during the day. Okay. So they sort of force you to get out and see things. When you're at the Intercontinental, and if if you stay like this all the time, then you probably won't understand my bedazzlement. <laughs> um, if you're at the Intercontinental, and they're feeding you, and they have a beautiful pool... And comfy beds, it makes it really hard to leave. And it was something I struggled with, you know, mm-hmm. white girl problems. Um, <laughs> Hashtag. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was something I struggled with where I was torn because I should be seeing Bangkok, but it was smoggy and 100 degrees and I could be laying by the pool. So I eventually found a balance where I would have my luxurious breakfast. I'd go out from like, Nine to two, mm-hmm. and come back and hang out by the pool until my my friend was done with work, which was a nice compromise. And to be quite honest, if you're in a place like Bangkok, you really get Buddha fatigue. Right. <laughs> I don't know if you found that to be true, but so this is the thing. I think I would have found Buddha fatigue if I had um, maybe if I had been by myself and wanted to hit absolutely every single temple. But the thing is, my boyfriend and I kind of had this rule where we just chose one major monument to see per day or like one major museum. And then the rest of the time we would literally hang out like we would walk around, we'd grab a drink, we'd like, I don't know, we 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 did a lot of wandering and meandering. So I didn't get Buddha fatigue. But I could see it happening very easily because after a while, all those temples, like even now in my memory, just kind of run together. They look the same. It's like churches in Italy. They're all gorgeous and beautiful and unique. But at some point, you can't tell one from another after you've seen 10. Yeah. So like we kind of, I remember making it a point, actually, we are going to talk about this. Um, At one point, we just decided to go to a mall because we figured, what does a mall in Thailand look like? And it ended up being a really fascinating way to to learn more about the country, strangely enough. And we did the same thing with, like, outdoor markets. You know, what does an outdoor market in Thailand look like? 
Um, and so we try to mix it up a bit. And to be honest, that's where all the Thai people are hanging out anyway, in the malls. At the mall? Yes. Yes, because <laughs> I was um, walking and I was on a skyway across a busy intersection and I noticed all these people at about 10 o'clock waiting to get in somewhere and they were waiting for the mall to open. Right. And I talked to the concierge at our hotel about doing a bike trip. And it was this really cool trip I had planned to do. You take the train with your bike to the old capital city of Thailand. You ride around and then you take a boat back. And he said, do you you really want to do that? That's, (laughs) That's 40 miles. And I did not. And he said, can I tell you something? And I, I said, yes. And he said, it's only the white people that want to ride the bikes around here. <laughs> all the all the Thai people want to stay inside. Yeah. <laughs> Hence the mall phenomenon. <laughs> well, this is kind of another question that I have now that we've been talking. Do you think your experience would have been different had you gone in another season? Because it seems like it was really determined by the weather. Yes, I, I kind of do. But that was the trade-off, though. Like, I had empty temples. Right. You know, I didn't have to wait in line for anything or book anything in advance. Mm -hmm. But it was hot. It was super hot. Yeah. And the malls were a nice respite from that. (laughs) So were either of the places what you expected? I think so. I expected temples. I expected... I guess that's all I expected. That was my (laughs) only expectation. Temples and World Heritage Sites. Bangkok was more... I knew Bangkok was business-oriented, but it was more than I expected, I guess. I guess I didn't realize all the money and the capital that flows through Bangkok and how much of a hub it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. My impression of Bangkok, which I really liked, but I felt that it's actually a city that's possibly more interesting to live in than visit. I agree. Like, I... Weather and smog aside, I could totally live in Bangkok. Yeah, and I just felt as a tourist, there was just a lot of things that were kind of cordoned off to me because I wasn't, just because I didn't do like, like daily life there, you know, and, um, and I know that like, I think Thai people, one, they rely a lot on tourism and two, it just seems to be a generally friendly environment. It's like, they want you to have a really good time, which part of it meant kind of they would steer me a lot towards tourist stuff, and I would really have to insist, like, no, I'm okay with eating street food, or I'm okay with going to, like, you know, things that aren't geared towards tourists, but to them it was almost a risk, because if I didn't like it, then that meant I had a bad experience. And I feel like all those kind of, like, little gatekeepers would be gone if I just lived in Bangkok. But at the same time, I felt, like, with the bike thing, that mm-hmm. the concierge was being really genuine oh yeah totally i think after a while they might like test you out for a bit because after a while especially with my bed and breakfast it's like the first time they recommended a restaurant to us it was very great but it was also kind of very touristy so the second night when i went and i asked for recommendations i kind of gave them this whole spiel like i eat anything i have no allergies i'm okay and they like led us to a pretty like legit local restaurant which was like 10 times better I just think they're kind of trying to figure out if you're like a cool, like if you're a chill tourist or if you're a, an uppity one. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, very cool. Any parting thoughts or any last last things on Thailand and Cambodia you want to mention? Well, two things. Yeah. Let's let's go back to the malls. Oh, okay. Let's <laughs> because the malls, as you said, were such a cultural experience. 
We actually went to the swankiest mall called the Paragon. And I will recommend it because if you're... I love to haggle in markets, Mm -hmm. but some people don't. And so on the... I think it's the fifth floor of the Paragon Mall, there's actually a section dedicated to products made in Thailand, like spa products, designers, like lots of clothing, scarves, so you can just buy them and not be stressed out by having to barter. There's also a crazy movie theater. (gasps) I saw pictures of this. Tell us more. At the Paragon. Yeah. So... I think day five of the Thai massage (laughs) escapade was the movie theater massage. So if you buy a ticket to see a movie in the Bangkok Airways Theater, it's like the gold standard of movie theaters. And basically what's included is um, a lounge where you can hang out pre or post movie. A 15-minute Thai massage, which they say it has a 300 baht value. <laughs> you can choose head or neck or foot. And it includes a snack, a beverage. Uh, the seats are leather recliners. You get a blanket and a pillow. And the reason I wanted to go was because at the beginning of every movie, they play the Thai national anthem and show a film about the king because the king is so revered. Mm-hmm. And everyone stands up. Well, we were the only people in the theaters <laughs> because it was 11 a.m. in the in the morning. So we were like, "Do we do we stand up?" So we did, right? Just in case anyone was watching, and because it's the right thing to do. Like, don't be a jerk. It was 25 U.S. dollars, which is clearly out of reach of the average Thai person, but it was an experience. It was a splurge, yeah. But it was fun. And what else do I want to talk about? Oh yeah, the terrorist attack. Oh, yes. We forgot about this. So you happened to land in Bangkok, not right after, but soon after the terrorist attack in the city. Was, was, did that have any effect at all? Well, our hotel was 300 meters from the Erewhon Shrine, which was bombed. And it really, it's a small shrine, but you could tell the popularity had increased due to the terrorist attack. So it actually had the opposite effect. It helped put it into context because we were in the business district, mm-hmm. which kind of made sense, like the placement. They had two suspects in this attack. The day we left for Cambodia, we were at the airport and I was reading my Twitter and someone had posted that all the streets around our hotel were closed oh. because they were doing They had the two suspects and they were making them do a reenactment of the crime. Step by step. And if you think Bangkok traffic is horrible just when it's kind of crawling, (laughs) like this kind of brought that area of the city to a halt, which made us really glad we were getting out of town and had left super early for the airport. So I thought that was, that's an interesting way to, um, it's like CSI, except in real life with real suspects. Well, yeah, and it's almost like you're trusting people that maybe you shouldn't trust to to reenact something. Exactly. I am questioning a bit the logic. I'm sure they... There's a reason, and I'm sure that this is something that they expect, too, but... Right. So they were just walking them through the steps they took to place this bomb. But the Erewhon Shrine is super crowded. Yeah. Uh, Lots of people there. Were people more scared in general, or did they just see this as kind of a random event 
it didn't look like people were scared, judging by the amount of folks that were there. Mm-hmm. But I did notice when we booked our hotel, after we, we stayed two, one night, like a night and a half in Bangkok after Cambodia, and hotels were cheap, like super duper cheap. I mm-hmm. think um, I saw the Intercontinental for 135 a night, Whoa. which is crazy cheap for that hotel. So I think... Tourism is still hurting, mm-hmm. but I get the feeling it's more like from Europe and the Americas. Right. That tends to be the case, I feel. Because we are scared <laughs> of lots of things. All right. Well, you had a good time. Yes. Conclusion. And awesome. You, and you had a good time. I did. I really, I did love, I mean, in that trip, I went to Thailand, Cambodia, Laos, and Vietnam, and just you know, for a good two months and the whole experience was really wonderful. And I want to go back. Yeah, I would go back too. I just feel like I'd even go back to Bangkok and maybe <laughs> experience more of the the local life. But I feel like Thailand is just, it's huge. There's yeah. so much there. It's true. I left with the feeling that I hadn't seen enough of Thailand. Um, we did a pretty good tour of Cambodia. Like, I feel like I'm okay with everything I've seen in Cambodia. And the same thing with Laos, because Laos is pretty, like, small. Um, And Vietnam, we did a lot of Vietnam, but I just love that country so much that I would go back and do, like, the same places again. If You know, like, if I had no choice but to do them again, I would do them again. Me too. Yeah. Like, I was in Vietnam in 2000, and it just... I want to go see how things changed, you know? Yeah, me too. And I'm just like, stay tuned for a future episode where Kathy and I talk about our love of Vietnam because when I went there, I got the feeling that we had arrived just in time before a wave of tourism would kind of come crashing down. Like they were building all these five-star hotels along the coast, but they weren't there yet. See, I got that feeling too, and I went a little earlier, and the only Americans I met were um, former soldiers, like oh yeah, I saw some of those, like the burnouts from Vietnam, from like well, Vietnam War. No, no, no. <laughs> it was more like people my parents' age coming back and to see to see Vietnam, oh. like not in the context of a war zone. Yeah, it was former soldiers and French people. I saw a lot of French people, and I did see a lot of like kind of the Australian British. Brigade. Israeli. Yeah. um, Very, very few Americans. I mean, you always find one or the other, but, you know, you always tend to find them a little bit, but definitely a small group. And I think because tourism hadn't overwhelmed the country yet, it was actually really easy to just kind of hang out with local people. Like if you went to a bar, locals were there. If you went to restaurants, locals were there. There wasn't this like divide I felt in Thailand, Cambodia, and Laos where it's like, this is where foreigners are, and this is where local people are. And I I really doubt that's there today. I think people have descended on Vietnam, and there's no turning back. And good for them. Yeah. Like, good for them and their tourism dollars. Because it's a wonderful place that everyone should see. It is. We should totally talk more about this in a future episode. We will. <laughs> or go back. Or go back. Kathy and Inez's return. Hello, Vietnam. Hello, Vietnam. <laughs> All right. Well... Oh. Good morning, Vietnam. Good morning, Vietnam. <laughs> yes. Um, excellent. Well, I'm so glad to hear that you're back and that you had a wonderful trip. And I think that is all for now. So go forth and travel.